Hello, this is the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. Today we celebrate Father's Day with guest speaker Dr. Neil Kennedy. Of all the ways the Lord God Almighty could have chosen to relate to humanity, he chose the language of family. So it's no wonder the family unit has always played an important role in the outworking of God's purposes on earth. It was once the building block of society. It was designed to provide the nurture and training of each succeeding generation. However, in today's demanding world, we find that more and more parents are not keeping to what really matters. Rather, they neglect their personal devotional lives, they neglect their husbands or wives, and they neglect their children. Today, we're reminded of the spiritual priority of God first, family second, career and ministry third. And that although parents are responsible to provide for their children's material needs, their primary role is to provide spiritual and moral training of their children. We all have a need to be loved, cherished, protected and valued. And although many times earthly fathers do not live up to the ideal, God promises that in Him, no one has to be without a perfect father. And we can come to our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is the first time I can actually remember celebrating Father's Day in Malawi. Is, is that right? Can anybody else remember doing it ever before? Mother's Day, yes, we, we do that, don't we? But Father's Day? In fact, a few weeks ago when, when Francis was making an announcement about this Sunday, he actually said, we're going to celebrate Father's Day. And he said, I actually don't know what we're going to do. But we're going to celebrate a day for fathers. Because as a, as a nation... Perhaps we're not so used to the idea of celebrating fatherhood. Perhaps because fathers in Malawi have been, uh, have I got this right? I have. I've been distant from their kids. Maybe they've had to work from home or send back money to them from far away. Maybe because culturally in Malawi, the role of a father is much more about a provider. It's much more about a discipliner than a nurturer. Nurturing is for mums, not dads. And we celebrate nurturing, not disciplining. Nobody likes to celebrate discipline. But on this Father's Day 2016 in Malawi, here's a question for all parents, not just for fathers, but for mums too. Do you think that it's easy to be a parent in Malawi these days? I don't think it is. Economic pressures force many parents to work full-time, both parents, all the time. Long hours to give their kids what they need for school fees or for clothes or for food. Many parents hardly see their kids as a result. And many parents face the task of parenthood on their own. A study from three areas from rural Malawi in 2005 found that between 40 and 60% of all marriages, either traditional marriages or church marriages, between 40 and 60% of those marriages ended in divorce or in separation. 40 to 60%. Now, when I first heard those numbers a few years ago, I went, what? That can't be, that can't be true. But then I thought about the number of people, friends I have in Malawi who are bringing up their kids on their own. People I know whose marriages who've broken up. Parents I see day to day coming to the hospital and I ask them, have you got your father with you? Is your mum with you? No, no, we're, we're separated or in different relationships. 
And the challenges that those parents face are immense, bringing up their children on their own. And the challenges that parents perhaps face today are very different from the challenges that their parents faced a few years before. The internet brings fantastic opportunities for our children and for us, but it also brings temptations and challenges that we have to face. A survey was published in the UK this week. Uh, they'd asked teenagers at the ages of 14 and 15 of them, uh, 14 and 15, they said, how many of you have seen or come across or accessed deliberately pornography on your telephone? Just by mistake or else you've, 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 you've looked for it on the phone, either way. You know what the answer was? 95% of them. 95%. Do you think that that's different in urban Malawi today where children have phones? Is that different? I, I don't think it is. And parents have to deal with that. They have to guard their children's hearts and minds from images and acts that could spoil their understanding of what a God-ordered relationship between a man and a woman should look like. Or, or many other things. It's not easy being a parent today. We have challenges that we face. So I want to ask, is, does this book, does the Bible have anything to say about it? Can it help us? Well, I think the answer is, yes, it can. And I want us to look briefly this morning at a passage in Scripture which I think speaks to the role of fathers, but also to mothers and parents or guardians of any description. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It'll appear here hopefully on the screen together. Let's read it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. Lord, we know that these words were written many, many years ago by somebody who could never have seen the challenges that we face today. But Lord, we thank you that you are behind these words. These are your words. So Lord, we pray that you would help us today to hear them and to understand what they mean for us in our world today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, well, before we dig into this passage, let me just say two things by way of introduction. Uh, first of all, this is not just a sermon for the dads in the audience. I, I was reminded when I was preparing this of a friend of mine who went for an interview to determine whether he should become a pastor. So he went to this very austere, august committee, and the committee consisted of senior church leaders from our denomination. And during the interview, the committee chairman, a very serious and senior church member of our denomination, he leaned over across him and said, Mr. Ray, um, do you have any children? And to which my friend replied, not that I know of. <laughs> That's a brave thing to say in a church interview. <laughs> Well, even if you think you don't have any children, this is still a passage for you. Paul addresses these words to fathers, but women, girls, mums, aunties, men without kids, please don't switch off. For what Paul says here specifically to dads, 
could just as easily apply to anyone who has a parental role, to anyone who has a responsibility to provide and nurture and bring up young people or children, to anyone with a leadership role or a position of responsibility, to teachers, to pastors, to virtually anybody. If you come to me afterwards, I'll tell you how this passage can apply to you. It's for all of us. And secondly, and really importantly, I want to make it absolutely clear that I'm preaching here from a position not of strength, but of weakness. Yes, I have two fantastic kids who I am immensely proud of. But I know that most of that is not down to me. It's down to their amazing mum and the grace of God in our lives. A few years ago on a school run home, I'm sorry, Grace, I have to say this story again. That's one I've talked about before. But Grace turned around to Sarah and said, you know, mum, dad is so busy that you're a bit like a single parent. You bring us to school. You're there to pick us up. You're there to organize our homework, to do the things for us. <laughs> Ouch. And she didn't say it out of spite. She said it because it was true. It's what she saw in her life every day. So this is a text for all of us, whether we're dads or not, and it's a text especially for me. So let's turn to it. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and you can see in it there, as we, as we look at it there on the screen, as you look down in the scriptures in front of you, that the Apostle Paul makes it very easy for us to understand. He tells us something that we're not to do and something that we are to do, something to avoid and something to get better at. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the nurture and the training and instruction of the Lord. So let's start where he starts with the thing that we are not to do, to exasperate or frustrate or embitter our children. Now, there's lots of ways that dads can exasperate or annoy their children. For instance, they could show embarrassing photos of them when they are young, like children like this one, or like this one, or like this one. I've got 20 minutes of this, Grace and Ben. Just, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> but that's certainly a, that would be certainly a very good way of annoying them, wouldn't it? A very good way of exasperating them. But I would like to suggest two other ways that fathers could frequently embitter their children. And the first one is by failing to provide what they need the most in their lives. Let's move on to the next slide. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13, Jesus draws a parallel between earthly dads and a heavenly father. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks you for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Jesus is implying that one of the roles of a father is to provide good things for his children. But the sad truth is that many dads fail to provide the thing that children really want and really need their time, their undivided attention. 
in preparing for this sermon, I reread a book that I would heartily recommend to all dads out there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it online. You can get a copy from me if you want to. It's this one. It's a very simple book called The 60-Minute Father. It actually takes you about an hour to read. It's written by a guy called Rob Parsons. I read this book a number of years ago. I've read it two or three times since then. I give it to uh, people who, um, uh, who are new dads because I think it's a superb book. It was written by a man who's a very successful law partner, leader in business. And here are some of the things that he says in the introduction to his book. He says, the lessons I share are born not out of success, but out of failure. I remember well coming home from work and sitting at the meal table. My wife had long since given up trying to communicate with me at that hour of the day, but my two small children hadn't. Dad, I'm in the football team on Saturday. Susan's been pulling my hair again. But I was distant. My mind was still with a client or planning tomorrow's business strategy. I would mumble a reply. But then the telephone would ring and my son would answer it and he would say, Dad, it's for you. And suddenly I would come alive animated as I talked, and two young children would be watching me, and the message they were getting loud and clear was, this is what matters to him. This brings him alive. This phone call, that business, that's what animates him. And changing this type of lifestyle is for me an ongoing battle, said Rob Parsons. Does that that ring true? Any of the dads? He goes on to say this, If you are fortunate to have children, be warned that they will grow up and be gone long before you know it. I can testify this is true. God only allows us so many opportunities with our children to read a story, to go fishing, to play football, to say our prayers together. Try not to miss one of them. The office can wait. It will still be there after your children have gone. And that's true. That's true. I've seen that in my life. On the day that Ben uh, left Malawi to go to the UK to university, I found myself sitting in his room, feeling a bit maudlin and a bit uh, upset. And I picked up this. It's a, a little Lego man, little toy that Ben would have played with. And I sat down in the book on the bed and tears came into my eyes because that little Lego man represented many hours, many, many hours that Ben and I spent playing with Lego when he was just a few years old, looking over very complicated instructions and trying to find the bit that we had lost. Now, for those of you who don't know, Lego is a brilliant toy. It's a fantastic thing. You can make almost anything you like with Lego bricks. And here's a picture of us doing that many, many years ago in northern Malawi. Uh, which one of us do you think is actually having the better time? Ben looks as if he sort of has been forced to be there. I'm all for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Lego freak. And, and, and as, I, as I held that little Lego man in my hand, it brought home to me quite clearly on the day that my son was going to university that the time I had had with him when we played with little Lego bricks was gone. That was a time that was so very short and so very precious. Ben, as far as I know, Ben, you don't play with Lego anymore. 
What do our children need the most? Not the snake or the scorpion or fancy presents and gifts, but the fish or the egg or of our undivided attention and time. Interestingly, what good gift does Jesus say our perfect heavenly father will give us if we ask him? He doesn't say his eggs and things. He says it's himself. It's the Holy Spirit. If we ask him, he will give us what? The Holy Spirit himself. Because he knows that's really what we need. Children need our presence, A-E-N-C-E, much more than they need our presence, E-N-T-S. They need us with them. Now, we have to be careful here because I know the pressures that families are in, in Malawi and many parents have to spend their time uh, away and they want to send their, look at, make sure their children are well looked after and they, they send them to their aunts or to their uncles or their grandparents or other people who can help. And that, I get that. And there's often nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a good thing when it's done out of genuine care and well-being for a child's well-being. But I have to say sometimes, just sometimes, it does appear to me that there are parents who are quite keen to have their children go somewhere else. And they make those decisions about their own lives and about their own well-being and not about their children's well-being. Give your children what they really need. You. That's what they need. Rob Parsons goes on to say this, if you take childhood as lasting from birth to 18 years, that is 6,570 days. Imagine a timer ticking down each of those days during your child's life. By the time they are 10, 3,650 have already gone. You have got 2,920 left. No amount of money, power, or prestige can increase that number or give it back to you. 6,570 days. Try not to miss a single one of them. We can exasperate our children by not giving them what they really need the most, enough of our time. Secondly, we can exasperate or embitter our children by discouraging them, by making them unreasonable or excessive demands of their time. Perhaps we impose discipline on our children that is excessive over issues that really don't matter that much. Or we try and live out our failed life dreams through them. Or we set them targets or ambitions that they don't feel able or called to achieve. Unlike uh, our Heavenly Father who is, we read, slow to anger and rich in love. Sometimes as parents we are quick to anger and mean or stingy in our love. I teach medical students, that's my job. And one of the things I teach them about is child abuse. And and uh, because sexual and physical and emotional abuse against children is so common in Malawi, 
I gave my talk a health warning, one of those things at the start, you know, if you are affected during this following lecture, please come and speak to me afterwards. I, I, I say that up front because I know that many of the students that I see are likely to have been affected by those issues themselves. That's just the way it is. They may need some, some support and I, I want to offer that to them. Now the bit of the talk that I am most worried about, the bit that that resonates most with my students, the bits where I can see them beginning to look a bit weepy sometimes, is when I talk about emotional abuse, about parents, about fathers in particular, who they could never please, who only seem to show them love or attention if they did well at school about a home where if you came home and told your dad, Dad, you know, I, I did really well in my maths test today. And he said, what position are you in the class? And you say, uh, position two. And he would shout at you because it wasn't position number one. What's the long-term effect of that sort of drip, drip, drip of you're not quite good enough? It's a feeling deep down inside of us that we're not really worthy of anyone's love or attention or affection and that we're doomed to fail. Children should never, never have to feel that they have to earn their parents' love. It is their right. It is their God-given right. It is my God-given responsibility as a parent to shower my love on my children, no matter who they are, no matter what they do all their lives, from beginning to end. It is not something that they have to earn. In a parallel passage in Colossians, I put it there on the screen, Paul says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So are we in danger, perhaps, of exasperating our children by depriving them of our time? Or are we in danger of embittering our children by depriving them of our love and encouragement? Paul says, fathers, do not exasperate and do not embitter your children. So those are the negative things. He said things you shouldn't do. And, and I'm sure, you know, parents here, your, your parents here may more exper experience than I am as a parent would have other things you could say, well, don't do that either. And don't do this. But those are the things that came to me as, as I was preparing this. Let's move on then to the second half of the verse. What are the things that we should do? You see it there in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Fathers do not exasperate your children and then put it in red there. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the word for bring them up could literally be translated as nourish or nurture them. Fathers, nurture, nourish your children. Feed them. Give them what they need. And the first part of that uh, nurturing or nourishment, he said, is training. He talks about training and he talks about instruction. And really what... Uh, is most likely when he's talking about training there is discipline, godly discipline for our children's good. Good fathers, says Paul, will never walk away from their role as providers of discipline 
or leave it to their wives or to their school teachers or to anyone else. They'll do it with those people, but they won't abdicate that responsibility. Good fathers will set limits on their children's behavior that they expect them to keep. Good fathers have learnt from their heavenly father the components of righteous discipline. And we see many of those components illustrated in a passage we're going to read together. It'll be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. We can learn a lot from this passage about what good, godly discipline looks like. The writer to Hebrews says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Ensure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? Our fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, what do we see here? There's loads in that passage we could draw out, but I want to make just a few points. For for we can see here that godly discipline is born out of love. Godly, righteous discipline is for our good. Yes, godly discipline is painful, but it is proportionate. And it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace. It changes us. And I want to be very sensitive here, but but what about the pattern of discipline that we have here in Malawi, does it live up to those ideals? As I say, I I do a lot of work in child protection. And surveys in Malawi in the last, about two years ago, showed that uh, nearly 70% of boys, nearly 55% of girls, have been beaten so severely at some time in their lives that the next day they, they still bore the marks of that beating or they couldn't walk or sit down easily. Quite significant punishment, quite significant discipline, often in the name of discipline. And I I have to say, I, I want to ask quite sensitively, is that sort of discipline, to that extent, godly, in the way that this passage says it's godly? Is it proportionate? Are those beatings often administered by their parents in the name of discipline, born out of love, like God's discipline is? Or is it delivered out of uncontrolled rage or anger? Does such severe physical punishment produce a harvest of righteousness and peace? 
Or does it lead to bitterness and fear and mistrust? I'd maybe even want to go a bit further than that, and you can argue with me if I'm pushing the point here, but but has our dependence in Malawi on vigorous physical discipline of our children as the right thing to do to make them into good people in the future? That's what often people say to me. I wouldn't be the person I am today if my father hadn't disciplined me like that. But, but has it worked? In our country, has it produced a harvest of righteousness in faithful marriages? A harvest of responsibility and selfless behavior? A harvest of honesty and integrity in work? Has it? I'm not sure it has. A few years ago, I was treating a 13-year-old girl who'd been raped. She'd stayed out late at a friend's house uh, against her parents' instructions. And she was walking home in the dark. She was grabbed by a man and she was raped. I saw her the next day in the hospital. And she had huge, big bruises and lines the whole way down down her legs like this. Big lines the whole way down her legs. Big, big bruises and welts where she'd been beaten with a stick. And I said to her, gosh, Jean, um, did, did the man who, who did this, did the man who raped you, did he do this to you? And she said, no. And I thought was my parents. They beat me because I was home late. Now, what did that girl learn that day from her parents that terrible night? Did, did their discipline produce in her a harvest of righteousness and peace? Did it teach, did that teach her that, that they loved her? I, I don't think so. And we get this wrong so many times. And, and I, I, I know I want to be sensitive about these issues because I know that they are cultural ones and important ones in people's lives. The, the Bible is clear. Loving fathers, loving parents will discipline their children. But they will do it in such a way that it targets the important behaviors, the things that their children really need to learn to stop doing or to start doing. It will be proportionate discipline. It is not excessive. God does not punish us in the way we should deserve. He he punishes us gently so that we can grow. God punishes us out of genuine love. That is the way we should punish our children or discipline them, not out of anger and frustration and more than anything, Biblical, godly discipline is positive discipline that blends reward with punishment, that encourages us and says, well done, as much or even more than it chastises or rebukes us. Rob Parsons, again, in his book, has a little line. He says, catch your children doing something good. Catch them doing something good and say, well done. Much more than you say, catch them doing something wrong and saying, and we get that balance wrong sometimes, don't we? We nurture our children by providing them with godly discipline that trains them to be good. But we also nurture our children, providing them 
with godly instruction in the ways of the Lord. Crucially, our children need to see us live out a life of genuine Christian faith. They need to see in us a role model in prayer, hear us talking about the Bible, applying it to the decisions that we make in our lives. They need to learn what a godly marriage is by the way that we treat our wives or our husbands. Nurturing or bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord involves providing them with an authentic example of what the Christian life looks like in practice. I'm sure we'd all agree in that. But as well as providing an example, nurturing also provides specific instruction. We must use our mouth sometimes. Words have to come out. We have to say things that we import and think are important for our children. And perhaps we have a tendency to leave discussions about important things to somebody else or assume that the few minutes that we spend each day with our children will effectively pass on to them the things that are important to us. I would like to say, don't be so naive. We should never underestimate what we're up against here as parents. All day, every day, our children are exposed to examples of behavior on TV or on the internet that perhaps we fundamentally will disagree with. Or the music that they will hear in the background or the friends that they will chat to in school will be teaching them values that will run counter to everything that they will hear here in church on a Sunday morning. So a final quote from Rob Parsons. Sorry, it's a slide. Go back again a slide if you can. Um, he says this, if we want our children to accept our values, we have to pass them on. We have to use words. Those values could be spiritual. If I want my children to believe, I need to take time to explain my Christian faith. My values might be sexual, so I need to have the courage to talk openly about the, both the wonder and the dangers of sex. If I have these things that I believe are right and wrong, I have to let them know in both words and in actions what those are. My children may reject those values, but if they matter to me, I dare not leave it just to other people to teach them. And I, I recognize, I, you think, oh, okay, you know, it's a busy day. I, I don't have time to talk to them about these things. I'll find out a wee bit what's happened in their life. Anything happened today at school today? No. Everything happened at school today. What they learnt today from their friends, from their music, that's going to stick in their heads. And you need to say things into their lives that are of importance for eternity. And nobody else is, might, might be the person who's going to do that. It might be their Sunday school teacher. It might be their pastor in church. But most of all, it's going to be you. Fathers, nurture your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Provide them with the discipline and teaching about values that they need. So let's go on to the final slide there, which is a summary really of what I've been trying to say. And I'm going to finish with where I started with an admission that I don't find this easy. This is hard and I often get it wrong. 
And I'm really encouraged by what Paul says just after he's concluded this little section in Ephesians on Christian relationships and families in the workplace. A whole pile of stuff that he says it's also very difficult. He says this in verse 10 of chapter 6. After thinking about these things, about our relationships with our wives, our relationships with our bosses, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our children. Hey, good grief. He says, verse 10. Be strong in who? In the Lord and in his mighty power. And we need his help, don't we? So let's pray now and ask him for that help. Father, we want to thank you for the gift that you have given us of our children. Lord, we confess, I confess, that we have not given our children the encouragement or the time that they need sometimes. Lord, we know that that we struggle and sometimes our discipline is ungodly or inconsistent or ineffective Lord we we know that we have failed at times to nourish them with the encouragement and love that they need and with that clear instruction in the Lord or an example of Christian living Lord we thank you that you are our heavenly father you know our weaknesses And you provide us with all that we need to do good. Jesus, you said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Lord, we need your Spirit. We need your help to do this right in our lives and in the lives of our children. So, Lord, help us today to hear what the Spirit is saying to us and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week with guest speaker Dr. Neil Kennedy. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you again next week. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.
Nothing can remove you from your throne. 